0: Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 192. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and with me is Spencer Wright from Halbert Wealth Management, my co-host for all things election predictions, markets and elections, and all that stuff. Spencer, you're probably the most frequent guest outside of Jay that I've I've had on here. Welcome again.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Derek. It's It's great to be here.
0: Well, it's... It's we're coming down to crunch time in the elections, and so I want to set the table for this. What we're going to go through, and I mean, we're, we're just going to get into it. We always say, and you and I have said this in the past. Over the long run, it really doesn't matter which political party in power for the markets. And I won't bore everybody with the details, but whether it's Republicans, and I went I went back and looked at data 1923 through uh, you know 2021. And if you have Republicans and President, Senate, and House, the average annualized return is about 15.9%. And if you have Democrats Democrats across the board, it's about 14.4%. And there's any number of iterations. I will mention since uh, 1923, we have not had a Democratic president, a Republican Senate, and a Democratic House. Hasn't happened. But and the other thing I'll say too is, even if you look at annualized GDP, even some periods that uh, you know you would think would be kind of weak, um, late seventies, President Carter. I mean, he had still positive GDP, but that's a separate podcast. I'll, I'll try and remember to link to that. And I think Spencer, when we think about the markets and elections, really, I think what's priced in is certainly a Republican House, uh, Senate. We'll we'll kind of talk about that. But, I mean, when, when we think about just post-midterms, typically we do see a midterm bounce. And is that because the markets want gridlock? Or I, I think going back to Kennedy in 62, post-midterm uh, elections, the markets have all been up, right?
1: Uh, that's right. Um, and it's not so much a political party thing, as you point out, as Wall Street likes divided government. In divided government, uh, things are slower to get done. Change is um, is slowed. Uh, no one, you know, party can ramrod uh, initiatives through. There has to be some element of compromise, and Wall Street loves that. And it could be. A Republican president with a Democratic Congress, or a Democratic president with a Republican Congress. Either way, uh, Wall Street uh, loves divided government, as the numbers show. If you if you look at it, I know you know I've talked about this before, um, but uh, the numbers are are compelling. Um, I mean, double digit returns for the remainder of the year in many cases after a midterm election.
0: I think that's right. I mean, generally, and, and we only have the numbers going back to Kennedy, but yeah. And it, it's interesting too. I mean, I, we've talked about this before in the past Spencer, a midterm year up into the election is normally flattish to mildly up to down. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Those years typically are, are nothing to write home about up until the election. You know, this one obviously for a number of reasons, um, is a down year, uh, and so maybe we'll get some relief uh, after the election. Uh, we'll see. It uh, would certainly be nice at this point.
0: <laughs> I want to focus, let's focus on the house. And again, we we like to tie things back to the market. The market sort of has things priced in. There's some expectations. And normally, when the market doesn't get what is expected, sometimes that could cause a little volatility. Starting with the house, and Spencer typically Right. I mean, midterm elections for presidents typically see a decline. The president's party loses seats. I think Nate Silver and 538 has what 82% chance Republicans win the house. Right. What do you see on the house? Is it really just a, a margin thing? And I want I want to ask you too. There's this uh, congressional preference poll that right now is what about plus 5 Republicans.
1: Kind of give us the lay of the land on the house that's an average, uh, of, of a number of, of, uh, of polls. Um, so at the house, yeah, the house Derek really is just a question of, uh, of margin to what extent, uh, will the Republicans have uh, margin in the house? Uh, you know, they're, they're not lacking very many seats right now. So their takeover of the house is, is all but assured. Um, having said that, uh, the, The number of seats uh, we're looking at um, could be as high as 250 to 255 GOP seats, which I think would make it the largest Republican majority since the Great Depression. All right. So let's put a
0: little color on that. So every election, every two years, the whole Congress is up for election. Correct. There's how many seats total? There's what two four hundred and uh, take us through that
1: total house seats four hundred and sixty five.
0: Yeah, that would be quite a jump if they had that.
1: It's more likely. I mean, the 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 odds of them four thirty five by the way. Yeah, four thirty five. The the odds is uh, the odds are really, it, it's not impossible. I mean, the fact that that's even on the table. The in the realm of possibility to achieve two fifty 250 to two fifty five uh, seats is a pretty stinging indictment of the environment. Um, if you want to look at well, what's the perhaps a more mean outcome? Two hundred and forty seats is pretty uh, is pretty likely, and that's still a robust level of gain uh, for the Republicans. I'm
0: looking at. 270 to win. You and I both like that site because you can go and pull up a a congressional uh, map, and you know if you have if you're not getting sleep at night, you can hover over the counties and all those (laughs) districts. But the way they have it now is they have 11 seats that are sort of in the toss-up category, and excluding those seats, their prediction is Republicans 223 to Democrats 201. So if Republicans got all 11. Uh, and I'm not saying they will or they won't. They have it at 233. You're seeing some other data that has a little bit more uh, robust pickup, right?
1: And I don't know to what extent those are, you know, pricing in, if you will, uh, a lot of the current data. Because as you know, as we get closer to election day, this, this situation is very fluid right now. And recently, within just the last, you know, f- three or four days, things have broken hard toward the GOP. And if that continues uh, to election day, um, yeah, the likelihood of 240 seats, um, you know, the the dream, if you will, if you're uh, looking in that direction of 250, 255 seats for the GOP, uh, seems like it, it could actually happen. Two weeks ago, I would have thought, sure, uh, they'll take control, but, you know, it'll be a, a a more modest majority. Now, I think no matter where you look, um, it's going to be a solid majority, and it could be um, one of the best majorities that GOP has ever enjoyed.
0: I'm just going to look back here and give you some numbers of typically and all but uh, – This is going back to 1962 and Kennedy and the sitting U.S. president and how many House seats they lose in a midterm election. And obviously, you know, Reagan, Clinton, George W., Obama, they all had uh, two midterms, you know, one in each of their four-year terms. I'll give you some number. Trump in 2008 lost 40 House seats, flipped the House to Democratic. Uh, Barack Obama, his first term, lost 63, flipped it to Republican. He lost 13 in the... In the second midterm, George W. lost 30 in, in his second term. His first one, post 2001, 9 11, he bucked the trend, got plus eight. Uh, Bill Clinton, 1994, lost 52 House seats, uh, went Republican. And that was significant because it had not been Republican some time. And in a the, the second one, he picked up plus five. I'll stop there. But generally, I think that's the case. If nothing else, if you knew nothing else, and you didn't even look at a poll, you'd say, "Well, chances are, right, sitting presidents lose
1: seats, right?" Uh, and and the the Bush uh, the W Bush um, uh, midterm was really an anomaly uh, that you could attach to nine eleven, um, and I, I think that that was really you know obviously the uh, an anomaly, and one of the things to keep in mind, all those presidents you, you rattled off, at each of those midterms were quite popular, you know, 50 plus percent polling, some of them significantly popular, you know, mid-50s. Joe Biden, currently, if you factor in all polls, not just picking a, your favorite poll or whatever, all polls is sitting at about 42 percent. That is not good. Yeah, I'm just looking at the
0: the 538. So Nate Silver runs uh, 538. You can spell out 538, uh, and and we'll get you to it, or just Google the number of 538. Last uh, amalgamation or you know consortium of polls approval was 42.3, disapproved was 53. Um, to your point, if I look and you know at some past presidents. He is below those. Uh, for example, Obama was, Obama was actually below 50, but he was still higher. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, that matters as well. I do, you mentioned the polls. And oh, by the way, j- just real briefly while I had some of those numbers, uh, the average, the midterm average 12 months later for markets is plus 16.3% the non-midterm average is plus 6.4%. That's going back to Kennedy in 62, every midterm election. Spencer, though you mentioned the polls. And there has been a swing, and I, and I will get into this a little bit more when we get to the Senate. You made the point in the past that there's sort of a silly season where polls come out. But it, if you're a pollster, you don't get judged on where you had a candidate or a race in July. You get judged sort of, the week or two weeks before the election. Correct. Talk about that a little bit, how normally these polls start to get a little bit
1: more serious. you know, it's interesting. E- every time, um, and I think, you know, this is, um, I think mean, the apparatus of both parties are, are guilty of this. But in July, say over the summer, um, a lot of polls came out, um, including generic ballot polls for Congress, showing the Democrats were, were kind of fighting back, were, were gaining ground. And they were capitalizing on a, a few issues. They were trying to make hay out of the out of the, uh, Roe v. Wade uh, decision, uh, you know, the the whatever they call the Anti-Inflation <laughs> Act, whatever it was, uh, uh, trying to make some hay on, on, on that um, and trying to build momentum out of it. And so a lot of polls come out, Showing well, the Democrats are are actually coming out of the out of the hole they're succeeding, they're on their way back, and maybe this is not going to be the route everyone has been predicting, and that whole period of time, as um Derek has mentioned, we refer to as the silly season because no one really pays attention and they're doing all kinds of things with these polls, they're doing you know registered um, voters as opposed to likely voters. And if you're not a real geek like Derek or I, you may not realize the difference that makes, but it's a huge difference on the reliability of your sampling. Um, Republicans are in many cases underrepresented, undersampled in these polls. In the past, of course, there are some places Democrats get, um, undersampled. So undersampling is, is, uh, something that you can sometimes correct for if you have enough historical data uh, for polling. But anyway, a lot of these polls coming out suffered from those, those, those things, right? The way the poll was constructed, you know, who was asked, um, and, and their numbers just weren't reliable. And so what happens is you get closer to an election, these folks, uh, pollsters, columnists, pundits, they have reputations to maintain. And suddenly, um, the polls get a lot tighter. They're a lot better conducted. They're much more serious. And when that started happening about a week ago, a large shift began to occur toward um, the GOP. Uh, Did anything really happen or break? Did anyone do something good or something bad to cause these things to happen? No, that sentiment was probably there All along, it's just now being properly reflected.
0: I think the other thing that happens, too, is some people have priorities when they go into an election. And some recent polling, it goes back to James Carville's famous advice for Bill Clinton during his campaign. It's the economy, stupid. And I think they had signs up in campaign offices. The economy seems to be the number one thing, uh, the number one. It's ranked first for importance for voters. We've had inflation, people are having, you know, to spend a little bit more. And rightly or wrongly, I mean, the perception is, look, I mean, the GOP, if they get in there, and this goes back to the split thing, it's the idea, okay, if if the GOP t- at least takes the House, then there can't be any other, you know, gargantuan spending bills, it can't be other things. And so, you know, we'll see. I want to get to. All right, let me let me set up because you and I both agree, and if we're wrong, that would be a pretty big miss. Uh, but <laughs> I think, judging from our twenty twenty election uh, picks, maybe maybe uh, anyway. So, I want to talk about the Senate. One of the things that I've seen in the past uh, past few days is there's the betting markets. And so the betting markets you referenced sort of uh, in, in the summer, Republicans, the betting markets had a pretty good chance of regaining the Senate. And then it switched. It was that, you know, late July, August, September. And then it started to convene back. Recently, the betting markets have Republicans at a 59.1 probability of retaking the Senate. I think uh you and I have talked offline, you know, prepping this. You mentioned the 538 Senate forecast. And Nate Silver now has either a 50-50 or a slight edge to the GOP. And so these have been converging. Uh, Spencer, that 538, the Nate Silver, that was solidly uh, blue Democratic up until recently. And then it started to change, right?
1: A week ago. Um... Uh, they were giving the Democrats um, about a 78 to 80% chance of retaining the Senate. So it's very solid. Um, You know, uh, that it was very favorable to them. Uh, Today, uh, and of course these numbers update daily uh, because there are lots of quality polls that will be coming out every day between now uh, and Election Day. Uh, right now, it's a toss-up, a statistical toss-up for the Senate. Um, that's a huge shift <laughs> away from the Democrats, um, and you can see it in the polls of some of these, you know, localized races. And I think, um, you know, we knew that the House was only really a matter of margin, and the ball game was really the Senate. Um, And I think, Derek, you and I believed that until maybe Monday, that the GOP was going to win the House, but um, not be able to take control of the Senate.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you and I have talked up, up into this. And you know what? I think we should get into the races, because I think this is... This is sort of, but I agree. I mean, it was, and Nate Silver, I mean, what he does, and he does make adjustments for biases, and we'll talk about that. But that was really interesting. And I will say, when Trump won in 2016, the New York Times had a 1% probability for Trump. Nate Silver had 10%. The betting markets had a 20% probability. So it's not like, you know, everybody gets this stuff right. But it is interesting. And you and I
1: said it was not going to (laughs) happen.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. You go back and listen. Don't go back and listen to that when we were wrong. All right. So let me let me set this up. The way that the Senate works is not every Senate seat is up for re-election, like the House. And there's really, I'm going to say, probably four races that matter. Although I'm going to throw a dark, heart, dark horse in and, and say five. I'll, I'll kind of reveal that, but it's nevada arizona pennsylvania georgia and then my dark horse which i will save let, let me start with uh, let's start with nevada let's go there and uh, in in that one i actually don't have the breakdown of money spent i'll i'll bring that up spencer and some of the other ones but if we go we look and we say all right what does the polling say in nevada well Uh, a good site and I'll link to this real clear politics and you can go to their polls and they post every sort of poll that comes in the real clear politics average is Laxalt. So it's Adam Laxalt. He's the Republican candidate. Uh, He is facing Catherine Cortez Masto. She's a Democrat. She is the incumbent and usually incumbents have the power of incumbency. Uh, He has been leading most of the time. Um, It looks like here that uh, it's, it's kind of a toss up Spencer, Um, but let's kind of get into this a little bit.
1: It is, you know, going before things really began to shift, maybe on a larger scale toward the GOP, um, the RNC had targeted this race and targeted Nevada as winnable. uh, That Masto, was a uh, week coming out of COVID. She had been damaged, um, uh, salt. Uh, is a very good candidate, by the way, uh, very solid, great media presence, not very gaff prone. Um, Masto, not a lightweight either. Uh, she, she's been, uh, uh, quite good on the campaign trail, but here's, what's working against her. Um, in Las Vegas, <laughs> And uh, there is something known as the Culinary Union, uh, Culinary Workers Union, and they are extremely powerful. And who they endorse typically wins, and they have been endorsing Democrats for some time. Well, they have not endorsed Laxalt, however, they've endorsed no one, and uh, that has to be, I believe, it's the deciding factor in this race and the reason it's so close. Uh, the GOP has been committing a lot of uh, money to this race, but the Democrats, uh, the DNC and other entities, have been flooding Nevada with cash. In fact, the day after we finished our 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 first podcast on this subject, they they initiated a thirty million dollar ad buy. In Nevada, now I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. You may have them, um, but Masto has spent um, a multiple of what Laxall had.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think this is a big deal. I do have. Let me see if I can pull that up as we're as we're talking in Nevada, and this was in CNBC. uh, It was probably about a week ago. She had spent nineteen point five million. Laxall has spent five point one. And he, she raised 29 million. He has raised 7.2. So yeah, there's a disparity there.
1: Yeah. Huge
0: disparity. I will bring something else up, Spencer. And that's Mm -hmm. all these polls do have a bias and real clear politics. What they do is they make some adjustments. So, so let let me set this up and I'll let you kind of take it. Uh, Nevada typically polls underestimate Democrats by 1.5%. What does that mean? It means that if you look at a poll and you have to say, well, Democrats are underestimated, Laxold is up 0.5% in Nevada. If you do the Democratic adjustment of 1.5, it puts Mastro, uh, Masto, sorry, I'm thinking of the steakhouse, at plus 1.0. Uh, they have it predicted as a GOP pickup. But I think this is a flip of coin at this point, right?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And and honestly, um, the only reason it's this close um, is the lack of a culinary union endorsement. Had she received that, even with the pressures of a of a, a building, uh, perhaps um, you know Republican uh, wave, uh, she may have been able to stand lack salt off. Uh, but when you combined. Uh, a Republican, a potential Republican wave, and the generic ballot would, by the way, uh, endorse this idea. Uh, she's in trouble. And I think it's very likely that Laxalt uh, squeaks this race out. All right. So I'm putting you down for Laxalt. Is he, is he your pick? Yeah. And, 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 and like, you know, I I'm, mean I'm like Laxalt by one. It's going to be, it's going to be a narrow victory. Uh, But I think uh, all the external macro factors and they are considerable favor Laxalt.
0: I think it's going to come down to turnout and the point you made about the culinary unions, that means potentially turnout won't be as high on Masto's side. I'll go uh, Laxalt as well. Uh, Let me shift to another race and I think for this one. You know what? Let's go to let's go to Pennsylvania. Let's get into that. There was a debate last night and the news media today. Uh, John Fetterman is the candidate, Democratic candidate against uh, Dr. Oz, the the TV doc from the TV show. Uh, last night, I believe uh, they had a debate. Some of the, the media reports coming out of there. Did, for anyone who doesn't know, John Fetterman uh, had a stroke uh, earlier in the year. And there, there's been some bad media, you know, some rough media coverage uh, of, of him in the debate. This is one, Spencer, that, and let me give you the, the this is another one. He had spent 20.3 million. Oz has spent 17.9. So pretty close. But this one is trending Oz late, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, and there'll probably be a couple more polls coming out uh, tomorrow. Um, keep in mind that when you look at the, the evolution of this race, um, Fetterman, uh in command really, um, up until last week <laughs> and, uh, I watched that debate and, uh, I have to say, I really felt bad for John Fetterman. Um, clearly he's had some issues after his stroke and, um, you know, it's it was just really tough. I got to give Dr. Oz credit. You know, he played it straight, in, in my opinion, and, and didn't, you know. There were opportunities where someone who might have been um, not as generous could have, you know, tried to score some points off of Fetterman, but Oz did not did not do that. And so, you know, the electorate in Pennsylvania is faced with a really tough situation. Even if you're a Democrat, you're thinking, well, I want to vote for Fetterman, I want to vote for the Democrat, but I think maybe his health is just not great. And and is this going to be good for Pennsylvania? And so there's an enormous amount of indecision right now. And if you look at the polls in Pennsylvania, they historically undersample um, Republicans. We talk about, you know, having the correcting the data to account for that. So if you If you correct the data, um, you know, it has, right now, the most recent polls, a YouGov poll has Fetterman up by two, so it's well within the margin of error.
0: Yeah, I'm looking right now. I mean, the average is
1: Fetterman plus 1.3, right? So, And if you look at the correction, uh, poll correction, it's about... um, 2.9 2.9 for Republicans. So if you add the corrected data to Fetterman's 1.3 average lead, that gives Oz basically a 1.6% edge currently. Um, but, you know, there's so many unknowns now in this race, it's going to be really tough uh, to say exactly how it breaks. If I had to, if you had a healthy John Fetterman, um, I would have to say he's gonna, he would win. A healthy John Fetterman wins this race, even though he had some peculiar positions that a lot of folks might not agree with. I think he does, he would end up winning. uh, Because let's be honest here, as you and I've discussed many times, the Oz campaign was awful. There's no other way to say it. He was an undisciplined candidate. The campaign was not run well. um, And uh, it just, it, it seemed like they were squandering, you know, the opportunity to hold that, hold that uh, seat if you're, you know, leaning toward uh, the Republicans. Um, but now, yeah, um, all things being equal, given the, the macro pressures building against the Democrats and John Fetterman's unfortunate performance, um, the other night uh, I think Dr. Oz uh, wins, even though he didn't run a campaign that deserved to win, in my opinion.
0: All right, so you've got Oz down. It's worth saying, by the way, John Fetterman. Uh, you know, you look at his education; he, he did go to Harvard. He did. He went to. Uh, you know, he was a his previous political experience. I think he's he was a mayor of a town. It it's really interesting because the way our system works is once you are the nominee for a party, if you have to drop out or or something happens or. It's so late. It's sort of late in the game, and I don't. want to, We'll bore everyone with the arcane rules of what you do,
1: right? But then, uh, there's a point of no return that that you cross, and absolutely, that's why there yeah. Have been, there have been times in the past where you've had you know dead person's names on ballots.
0: <laughs> One of the I don't know. I'm going to get sidetracked for a second, but I don't know if you remember. It was probably in in the 90s. I, I My, I, you know, I sort of lose track of time these days. But there was a guy in Louisiana who was ingrained, you know, deeply, deeply Democratic uh, uh, district, I think was a senior member of Congress, had been in there for years. One of those types of deals. Um, And by the way, a lot of these, I mean, that's why you see people in Congress so many years, you know, it's the power of the incumbency and and, and their districts that are really hard to get rid of people. Yeah, but this guy was indicted. I think he was still leading. Even if he, he, after he was indicted for bribery, he's still leading, still leading. And then I think at some point, I don't know, the case progressed more and more, but there was this guy who was, you know, spent no money. Um, I think he had, uh, he was a Vietnamese uh, gentleman, Republican, and I don't think there had been ever a Republican in this district. And the newspaper had pictures of this guy's not the the Republican guy, the Democratic guy, with pictures of cash in a freezer. anyway, he it was too late. They couldn't put anyone else on the ballot, and this guy wins. He actually ran for Senate afterwards. He finished tenth. They never I think he's out of politics. but
1: no the, these types of anomalies happen, and because people might be thinking, you know, Pennsylvania voters might be thinking, well, why didn't the party, you know, ask Fetterman to step aside or put in somebody else that might be a more viable candidate?" Um, and the answer is it was too late
0: yeah he 's obvi- obviously yeah i mean that's that 's no joke having a stroke he did i mean he went to harvard he 's obviously uh
1: yeah he 's a very bright guy and a thing uh, so I said a healthy john Fetterman uh i think wins. probably beats him yeah
0: i 'll agree with you there i'm I think this is a coin flip, but the momentum or the trend of late is going you know, Republican. So I'm going to put this one on. Let's transfer over to another state, though. Uh, let's go to to Georgia. And it's worth saying with Georgia is kind of interesting because if a candidate does not get, does not win, if the winning candidate doesn't have 50% or greater of the votes, it goes to a runoff. That's what happened last time where Senator Warnock, uh, the incumbent Democrat, is facing Herschel Walker, former uh, Georgia running back, New Jersey general running back, playing the NFL. Uh, the money on this one is
1: Dallas Cowboys and, and Minnesota Vikings running back.
0: <laughs> That's right. Warnock, uh, uh, as of probably two weeks ago, he had spent $41-plus on the race. Walker had spent uh million. So I'm going to cut to the chase, and I think this one's going to a runoff.
1: It is. And let me say something about the race. Um, It's disgusting. Um, Both of these guys are terrible candidates. Uh, You know, we say that Derek and I look at these things. It's, it's not a game, but you know, we, you know, you can see experienced candidates, people that know how to handle themselves. They're good on the issues that have media savvy Um, Warnock, a little more refined than Walker, much more of a a novice in some cases. But the sheer nastiness of this race, um, both of these guys have apparently some fairly serious um, issues, personal issues. Um, We don't know, honestly, at this point, what is correct and what isn't. Is it a smear campaign? Uh, Is it just... Uh, A life poorly lived coming back to bite you at the worst possible time? I don't know, but I do know it has just been um, uh, a cesspool of a campaign. Um, And Derek's right. We're not going to – we're going to have – we're going to a runoff. Let's say even somehow Walker gets pushed over the line because of the Republican swell, if there is one. Um, and there likely will be one of some dimension. Uh, it won't be by enough, and we'll have to do this all over again. When is?
0: Do you remember? Is it end of December or mid December they do the runoff? Because they got they got to do it before um, January. Before it this that's when
1: yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be um, it has to be it has to be concluded. I think by the middle of December.
0: There's a libertarian guy who's gonna get enough votes. I think to to make sure nobody wins.
1: Right. And so they'll start, they'll start the process all over again the next day. Uh, not only was this probably the, one of the most just unappealing races, uh, just because of the, the scandal and the, you know, the slanders back and forth, uh, lack of focus on things. It's just not, you know, uh, I like a debate of ideas and everything else. I don't like all the mudslinging and all the Georgia race has been largely ways a bunch of mudslinging.
0: You've been much more attuned to it than I have. Uh, I've basically been watching the numbers. I've seen highlights. Uh, I think it's it's too close to call, but it's... It is. It's so close to call, but there there's a few other candidates who will garner votes. Yep, I think I'm, I agree with you. It's going to be a runoff. That brings us to... Arizona, and I live in Arizona, so...
1: Well, so you know much more about the Arizona race than I do.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll give you some boots on the ground on this one. Uh, One thing that I found probably not surprising, because if you turn, if you go into any house and turn on any TV and turn on any channel, you are bound to be barraged by ads. I can't wait till this is done. I say this every election. I'm so tired of the ads. I will tell you, so here's a funny thing. So Arizona, you can request to be on what's called the uh, the permanent early, uh, the mail early balling ballot list. And all that means is you get a, a ballot in your mail. And we got ours, I think, two weeks ago. And my wife and I, we filled it out so quick. we I mean, of course, we put thought into it. But I mean, we got it done quick. Like the next day, uh, I turned, went to the post office, mailed it because here's the thing I've realized. When you get your ballots in, I believe they can see who's voted, not for who, but who's voted. And we stopped getting the phone calls. We stopped getting the texts as much. We still get some. And we stopped getting like just dump of flyers in our, you know, postcards in our mailbox. So that was my, my attempt to, uh, to get out. Of it. But let's get to the race. There is a massive mismatch in spending on this one. Senator Mark Kelly, who is the incumbent, um, 50, he spent $52.4 to Blake Masters. He's the Republican challenger. $5 million. Uh, or no, sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's an
1: order of magnitude. <laughs> it's an order of magnitude. It's 10x. Difference. It's 10 times yeah. difference. Yeah.
0: So Mark Kelly is, I'll give you what I'm seeing and, and how this is, this is surprising me here. So Mark Kelly is, is generally, as a Democrat goes, uh, he, along with Kirsten Sinema, who's not up for re-election, they're they're sort of moderate. Um, they would be right of center on a lot of Democratic issues, but Arizona's become sort of a purple state, purple meaning a mishmash of Republicans dem, Democrats. He's the incumbent. Uh, he was, you know, he was an astronaut. Um, I thought there was no shot that that Master is based upon the data and the polling that I was seeing, and just on how many more commercials I'm seeing from Kelly. But
1: that all has changed. I agree. I I, I uh, thought Masters um, didn't really have a chance. I was, I thought this was solidly uh, Kelly. Um, but again, so many things have changed just in the last few days, um, and I can't believe it's hard. It's hard to believe, to be perfectly frank, because um, you know Masters was an okay candidate. Um, he ran – is was running what I consider to be an average campaign. Kelly, um, for all of the fact that he was kind of hard to find during a lot of his term, he kept his head down, I think, quite a bit. By all accounts, has run an exceptionally good campaign uh, and has proven to be a lot more facile politically than maybe we thought.
0: Yeah, I mean – I. One of the things that happens too when you have an incumbent, they don't have to go through the rough primary season, the gauntlet. and they're you know masters, and it's I, maybe it's my age or I just can't <laughs> there's been so many commercials. I can't even remember the the people who were his challengers. I mean, he had to get through a primary and and typically in both parties, when you to get through a primary, you have to really lean in to sort of. Uh, you know, further off center of a lot of those things, whether it's further left, further right. But Spencer, I mean, it's been late. It's broken late. This has become a little bit of a toss-up. I would still be surprised if Masters wins, but maybe I'm I'm just sort of have this anchoring bias where I just remember Kelly seemed like the presumptive nominee for a while.
1: Look, if you, if you lump Masters into the same category, let's say as Laxalt, that are being... Buffeted um, by uh, the macro pressures. I mean, look, well, we need to be very honest about this. It's not political. It, it, the facts are what they are. Every macro measurement that matters to a voter is negative for the Democrats. Every last one. That does not win you marginal races. And so you can look at the generic ballot and say the GOP is ahead by, say, five, which, by the way, is a lot, And that would tell you that if Mark Kelly is not ahead in this race by at least five points, he's not going to win.
0: Well, the poll adjustment, uh, Kelly is the average is plus 1.5. GOP is typically underestimated by 1.6. That would put the adjusted poll at Masters plus 0.1, a literal razor-thin yeah. bias-adjusted. Um, yeah, I mean, and you look at it, it's, it's really been recent. Uh, the other thing I'll tell you is they must have gotten some cash on the Republican side because I am seeing more commercials now in relation to Kelly and different commercials.
1: I'm a believer in the macro elements filtering down to override the foibles of specific candidates or the strengths of specific candidates. Because midterm elections, much more so than a general election, are are referendums on the sitting president, their policies, um, and the state of, of the country, beginning with the economy. All the things in this category are negative. You have an unpopular president, uh, there's the worst inflation in 40 years. You can say whether it is or is not his fault or it's a combination of folks, it doesn't matter. It's happening now when the election is. Um, there are, are innumerable things that are lining up against the Democrats. And that's why uh, maybe a candidate like Masters has a shot, to beat Mark Kelly. Um, I believe in the macro environment, and I'm going to say Masters wins this race by a whisker, despite all evidence to the contrary.
0: Okay. I'll take the other side, and I'm going to say Kelly squeaks it out. And it's, the, it's purely, it's kind of like a home game in, in football where the home team automatically, you figure, is gets a little advantage. I think the power of the incumbency
1: yeah, Kelly could win, and if he does win, I wouldn't be surprised. But if he does win, it's going to be by, I think, a percent or less.
0: So, so far, uh, you've got Laxalt, Oz, uh, a runoff, and then Masters, and uh, and I've got Laxalt, Oz, runoff, and Kelly. Yeah. I want to bring up a dark horse, and you might be shocked I'm even bringing this up, Spencer, and I, I think you, you may or may not – where I'm going. New Hampshire. Yes. What the heck is going on in New Hampshire?
1: Because there's no polling in New Hampshire.
0: (laughs) Real Clear Politics to set this up. They have the average at uh, uh, Hassan plus 3.6. And I got to be honest with you, you know, Real Clear Politics has a top Senate races drop down. New Hampshire was not even a choice on this. Uh, Don Boldick, I think is how you say the gentleman's name, uh, Republican challenger.
1: Was this added maybe on Monday?
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maggie Hassan. Uh, Hassan. I don't even know how to pronounce these people's names. I'm sorry to both candidates. I'm sure they're fine people. Yeah. But it's uh, she's the Democratic incumbent. To, to give you an idea, I mean, up until October 2nd, I mean, there was maybe a... Few polls. There's still not that many polls.
1: New Hampshire is always severely under polled. Well, and here,
0: let me give you this too. Uh, right now, New Hampshire is is uh, Hassan up plus three point four. Real Clear Politics' their projection has a Democratic hold. This is not even a, a, considered a contested race. The GOP is underestimated by five points. But again, that underestimation also is on a lower sample size. So if you do that, it has Baldic plus 1.6. I'm not saying this is going to, the re, uh, incumbent's going to, this is going to be a GOP pickup. It's just interesting that this is even a
1: thought, Spencer. Well, look, um, it goes back to what I said just a few moments ago. The macro environment heavily favors the GOP um, the generic ballot, depending on what poll you look at, but on average, it's probably somewhere close to around plus five, which historically is a is a sizable number. Um, and uh, it's going to push races like this uh, Senate race in New Hampshire to be much closer than it would have been normally. Normally, we wouldn't be talking about this because, you know, Hassan would win – uh, with a a comfortable margin a bit outside the margin of error uh, and it would not be even be newsworthy. Now the chance is uh Bolduc could could he squeak this out? I don't know. We don't know enough. Will more New Hampshire polls be conducted? I'm sure a couple are going on right now. Uh polls are being more polls are being conducted now all over the place. Certainly in the states that Derek and I just talked about.
0: Yeah, there's a wild card too, and uh, Tulsi Gabbard, who is a, a Democratic uh, candidate for president, uh, she did not obviously win the nomination. Uh, president Biden did. She left the Democratic Party, and she has been campaigning for Bolduc. I don't. I have no idea what that means, but it's just interesting. Yeah, I, I so don't let's, know
1: what that means either. He's not now. Bolduc <laughs> is a, a general, right? He's a uh yeah
0: military uh, guy yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah and and so she has a military background and so she's supporting Bolduc. i think new from her time in the in armed forces um so does that do anything i don't know
0: i'm not even going to make a prediction on this one i no, i'm no, not but ready I think, to say the race there is yeah. going to
1: be far closer the, the poll it, it, in some ways if you don't have enough basis in polling right now in new hampshire or any state for that matter any race it's hard to come in at this late hour uh because and get a uh, a reliable poll in the field, get the data back and and get it out in front of people, there's almost not enough time left to do that.
0: Oh, I agree. I agree. All right, so let me wrap up uh the Senate and then I want to talk about the timing of when we'll know. Uh if you go with uh with mine, uh I have Arizona for Kelly, I have Nevada and Pennsylvania going Republican. Georgia is still a a, a runoff. I w- it would be 51 For Republicans, 48 for Democrats, even if Georgia went to uh, Democratic, it would wind up being 51-49. That would get the Republicans an edge on there. For your prediction, Spencer, you would have 52-47, and Georgia would either make it 53-47 or 52-48. It looks like...
1: Yeah, if I I had to guess that Georgia race on the outcome, I'd probably have to, at this point... I was very bullish on Herschel Walker up until the last uh, six weeks. And uh, it's just not been pretty. And I think Warnock ultimately wins.
0: Well, it looks like both of us, though, have the Republicans gaining the Senate. Of course, uh, why that matters is we assume they have the House. If you have the Senate, uh, that's where they approve judges or don't approve judges. And also you you have committees. I want to switch over, though, the... When will we know? And this gets back to the markets. So I went through and I found the the National Coalition, Coalition of State Legislatures. Uh, I assume that's a valid website. It seemed pretty uh, valid. And here's what happens. Uh, Arizona, they can start counting. We can start counting. Well, I don't say we because I'm not involved in the election. But they can start counting upon receipt. And what that means is they can start to release mail-in ballots, uh, and you know on election day, and they have to be received by 7 p.m. on election day. Georgia signature verifications are conducted upon receipt. Uh, other, you know, they can start processing those, but absentee ballots have to be received by the time the polls close. Nevada, though, and you mentioned how it's razor thin. Uh, they have a postmarking thing, so ballots have to be postmarked by election day, which means we we may not know there for a while. Uh, Pennsylvania ballots have to be received by 8 p.m. election day. Um, that's according to state legislature. Of course, they they did make a uh, there was some rulings back in uh, the twenty twenty presidential election where I think they were allowed to count ballots up to seven days. What all this means? I mean, you can Google this stuff. I'll put some links in the show notes if you're interested. Spencer, I think it's likely we have it. We agree there's a runoff in Georgia. I don't think we know Nevada, and it's likely Pennsylvania and Arizona. They may not be done counting all the votes either uh, by election night. It's likely we see this. There, there may be a week before we know. Uh, I think we should know the House though.
1: I, we will know the House for sure on election night. We will not know the composition or control of the Senate on election night uh there will be two well Jordan's going into a runoff um so that's gonna remain unknown and until mid december uh, yeah i or, i or agree i agree in uh Arizona we're gonna to have to wait probably as you mentioned a week or so um and so we're not going to know for sure there. Uh, but the real, the, the real fly in the ointment, if you will, um, is going to be Pennsylvania. Uh, now, I say that because remember what happened during the general election? How long did it take for Pennsylvania to finalize its vote? It took a long time.
0: Yeah, and part of that was that the courts, the state courts, allowed them to take ballots. I think it was seven days after the election. We, you know, they would they could still come in seven days after the election, but I agree. I mean, any, anything uh, government agencies do sometimes takes longer, more more arduous than they think. I will say in Arizona, so if, if you have a mail uh, ballot. Let's say you you forgot to mail it or you just didn't get around to it. You can fill that out and you can drop that off in a box at a polling place on election day. but it's just the the physical you know how they have to to count those so
1: right we're not going to know we're not going to know for at least uh, election night plus one week who controls the senate
0: yeah, I think that's that's fair enough that's fair enough
1: and, and i I'm old enough uh, to remember when these things were always decided on election night. Always. <laughs> um, and that's just not the case anymore.
0: No, and I I don't remember. I've been in Arizona since 96. It's been 26 years now. I can't remember when they allowed us to get our, our ballots by mail. But I I haven't gone to a physical polling place in probably, I don't know, 10 years? Maybe? I can't. I can't. I can't remember.
1: See, I'm just the opposite. I, I always vote on election day and in person.
0: Yeah. So you you like that experience? I I've decided I. I uh, and it's not like there were any lines or anything. It was just I got to tell you too. It took me two hours to fill out our ballot. I mean, we so we either say yes or no to keeping judges, and I I don't know how many. Questions are on our ballot. Arizona's one of the states where if you get enough signatures, you can get stuff on. But it took me a good two hours to go through it. And my wife, the same thing. You know, she. But again, we wanted to get in as soon as possible. Please stop calling us. Stop sending us <laughs> a mail. You know? <laughs> All right, Spencer. Well, I think uh, I think this was good. I mean, you and I sort of talk about this stuff and we figured it. Let's once again, let the uh, the recording start. And we'll put this out. And this is sort of our how we look at things. We know not everybody looks at us as much as us. The other thing that's kind of interesting about this for the markets, again, and you and I agree, it doesn't matter in the long term. Short term, though, if anything happens, you know, if the House were to somehow go Democratic against the odds, I think that would cause some volatility. And by the way, you can play these back even years later and see how wrong we were. But uh, <laughs> Spencer, thanks again for taking the time. And uh, I know uh, Spencer Wright, of course, from Halber Wealth Management. And uh, you know, by all means, uh, if you want, send emails. You can disagree with us, disagree with me, or send emails about topics to have in the future on future podcasts. Uh, I'll be back with uh, Jay Pestercelli next week. We're going to talk about maybe what capitulation or market bottoms can look like. So, Spencer, thanks again for taking the time and coming on. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Derek. It's always a pleasure.
0: All right, everyone. Thanks, Spencer. And we'll see everyone next week.